Good morning, and welcome back to Fresh from the Margins, the new releases podcast over here on the screen's margins. I am your host, B. Peterson, and my co-host, as always, is... Anna Campion. Hello. All right, Anna. Um, uh, uh, how 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 are you? How have you been doing these these past few days? Can uh, you can you believe that we have only a little, a little over uh uh a f- just a just a, just a few days left of of forty five, and then he's gone. I mean, allegedly. I don't know. <laughs> so much can happen. <laughs> like I don't want to jinx it, you know. Um. Well, because apparently he's wanting to to leave a couple days before his term ends. And like make his show of leaving even bigger than the inauguration, um, just to like upstage or whatever. But like, man, yeah, screw that guy. So you know, it's kind of funny because my mom has actually like pretty much since Trump was elected. Um, you know, my parents are both like they both voted for Hillary. They both voted for Biden. Like they're you know they're liberal, and um, I think they both voted for John Kerry. In fact, so they're like real liberal and um. Uh, but so like when he got elected in 2016, my mom was like, I'm telling you, Anna, when he leaves office, which he will, he is going to get on a jet and fly to Moscow and we're never going to see him again. And like now that it's and I really think the woman might be psychic because I feel like he's he's so in Uh. with Putin. I don't know. I mean, I don't know where else he would. I mean, I guess he could go to like Mar-a-Lago. But anyway, I don't know. I hate him. But yeah, so it'll be nice when he's gone. But I, uh, you know, I think he has unfortunately, you know, um, you know, triggered something that goes way beyond him now, which kind of sucks. So like he yep. once he leaves, it's not the end of Trumpism, you know, it is it is not it is only the beginning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, but I just my 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 parents and I we had a we had a very very good laugh um, mm-hmm. the other day when it, all the bands were announced like he's banned from this and this and this and this yeah and and it showed that he was banned from Google and I'm like Dad he's never gonna be able to use Google Maps again <laughs> <laughs> and we just cracked up over the idea of him not being able to use Google Maps and, I love the idea anyway. of him being banned from Pinterest. That yeah. that tickled me. Was he me. using that? <laughs> I have no idea, but that tickled me. The thought of like his like, you know, mood boards getting, <laughs> you know, <laughs> getting wiped. It's kind of funny to uh, me. But anyway, um, uh, so what movie are we talking about today, my dear? Um, today, today we're talking about we're talking about the. I I think it's technically a 2020 release, but um, but it was released on Amazon Prime on U.S. The, release, uh, I guess, in 2021. Yeah, yeah, in on on Amazon Prime uh, this past week, and we're reviewing that film today, and it is uh, Phyllida Lloyd's um, uh, uh, drama herself, starring mm-hmm. Claire Dunn, who also and... was the screenwriter, I believe, right. Yes. Yeah. She co-wrote the screenplay, mm-hmm. and and the story was by her. Mm-hmm. And um, first of all, it should be noted that Phyllida Lloyd, who is a name that maybe not not very many people know, because her work is mostly in theater. She is um, uh, 
she's done a lot of work with um the with the british theater companies Mm -hmm. of and stuff like that but her her feature directorial debut well after a tv movie she did um she she's the director of the 2008 um uh uh, classic mama mia yes she is oh my god i hadn't i didn't even really connect that until you just said that but i did i did know that phil deloy directed mama mia and i did know phil deloy directed but i didn't connect them as the same person for whatever reason yeah and she also directed the iron lady with meryl streep sure um and but anyway, I just before we get into herself, I just want to check in with you, Anna. Is like, what are where do you stand on Mamma Mia? I love Mamma Mia. I love Mamma Mia. I love Mamma Mia too. Um, I so Mamma Mia came out in two thousand eight. Um, so I was eleven, going on twelve, probably. Um, I remember seeing it in theaters. I remember loving it. I remember falling in love with Amanda Seyfried. And, and yeah, I love, Mamma Mia is like one of those movies that like, it, it is so comforting to me. And you can also tell that like, um, you know, and obviously like, you know, I don't know if you've seen on Twitter, like, but recently there's been a resurgence of like the sort of like behind the scenes features where like the director taught one of the like, uh, direct, I don't know, one of the choreographers or something is talking about how everyone was just like blasted on set all the time like everyone was super drunk everyone was always drunk yeah but um it just genuinely like i really like watching movies where you can tell that everyone had fun doing it like Mm -hmm. i have a lot of move like i think there are a lot of like classic like very well-loved movies where then it comes out that like you know, so-and-so hated each other and, like, it was tense and, like, they never talked or whatever. But, like, I like movies where you can tell that, like, oh, these guys are, like, buddies. Like, they, like, really liked each other. They had a good time. And, like, I think that it comes through in the film. So I'm a big Mamma Mia fan. I haven't seen The Iron Lady, so I can't speak to that. But, um, yeah, I do love Mamma Mia. All right. It's, um, I... I actually haven't seen either the Iron Lady or Mamma Mia or Mamma Mia Two, but I am, but I can sing you pretty much every single song from Mamma Mia because I grew up on the soundtrack sure. from the Broadway show. Mm-hmm. Um, that was that was a big. My mom is a huge fan of 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 that, and so I, I I always stayed away from the film just because everyone said that they hated it or whatever. And I and one of these days, and apparently Mamma Mia Two is quite good. I haven't seen either. I can't speak to either. One of these days. Um, I might have a day like I had yesterday. Yesterday was just a real hard day for mm-hmm. me, and um, just mentally, I I saw was... you had a double feature of Cats and Moonlight. Well, yeah, I watched Moonlight, and then I was like, you know what? I am just I'm full blown like panic attacks. Mm-hmm. Um, just in a very very bad spot. I'm gonna I'm gonna watch Cats, mm-hmm. and and I had a blast watching Cats. Well, uh, Mamma Mia is objectively a better movie than Cats. Um, okay. Like it is, it looks but a lot better. But does it have better. an eight-minute dialogueless um, cats and heat dance sequence? I don't <laughs> think it does. <laughs> no, but it does have a three-minute um, sequence of "Lay All Your Love on Me" with Amanda Seyfried and Dominic. What's his face? Um, and uh, that's really hot. So okay. they're like on the beach, and uh, it's kind of like cats and All heat. Right. Um, and also you have, you know, Meryl Streep, Christine Baranowski, and Julie Walters, like, prancing around singing about money. It's, I mean, it's just, it's just, it's just the best movie. I'm, it's I'm just s- awesome. I'm, 
I am struggling not to burst out into song <laughs> I know. right now. All right, but back back to back to back to the film in question that mm-hmm. we're reviewing today. Herself is um, a film. Just to give you a quick rundown of the plot, and here's the deal: is we're going to talk about this film freely without worrying about giving away spoilers. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about the various plot points, twists and turns, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think it's safe to say, at least on my part, that I would recommend people see this film. I would caution people also that there is depictions of domestic abuse mm-hmm. and um and that and that sort of thing. So if that's a potentially triggering thing, be warned yeah. about that. Um, but I I found this film to be a very pleasant film, and so I'm or pleasant as in a very good film, and so I, I would recommend people it, see it. You know, I mean, and I know I think it's good that you gave that sort of like you know content trigger warning. Um, but I think so. Two thoughts on that. One, it's not um like gratuitous or exploitative at all in terms of its no. uh, depiction of domestic violence, and I think it it deals with the. I mean, like, these are two very different films, which is sort of going off what we talked about last week with Promising Young Woman, where there is, um, you know, it, it obviously is sort of based around this idea of, like, um, sexual assault and rape, but it's not gratuitous in what it actually shows you, and it's not exploitative in what it actually shows you, Correct. and I think herself is kind of the same way, where you you feel the, the trauma that, um, that, uh, uh, ba 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 Sandra. Sandra, yes. I wanted to say Sarah, but... So Sa- Sandra, who is Claire Dunn's character, like, you feel the trauma that she is going through through, like, flashbacks and stuff, but you... And it feels, you know, visceral, but you're never... You, I never felt... And granted, like, I'm not someone who has ever been in this situation, so I obviously can't speak for that, but in terms of just, like, as a sort of, um... I'm. I would say I'm anti-domestic violence, um, but... and, Ooh, and I really? Did, yeah, hot take. <laughs> hot um, take. <laughs> But I didn't find it to be, um, I didn't find it to be, you know, overly uh, graphic in that regard. Um, yes. So, yeah. And so that's on one hand. Um, and then also, um, you know, I know you sort of stumbled upon saying it was pleasant, but I think this is ultimately a feel-good movie, even though it does have that it's like a hopeful mm-hmm. movie even though it is yeah it is a film about hope and mm-hmm. rebuilding yourself and mm-hmm. yeah so sure. so yeah i would agree that it, it's a pleasant movie even though it does have some really intense moments of violence yes. um but again not gratuitous so i just want to make that yeah. clear to um you know people to you know our listeners who you know obviously if you haven't watched it yet one watch it before we talk about it but two um it is you know it's you're i don't think um it is overall a pleasant movie yes um but just to give a rundown of the plot and so what at the at the opening of the film we see uh sandra and her two kids um emma and molly um they are um i they're in in, the film takes place in and around dublin in -hmm. the republic of ireland and we see her and her kids having a fun time. And then in comes the husband, um, Gary. Mm-hmm. Um, and he is he is abusive. And what happens at the in the opening scene of the film is that Sandra um, gives a lunchbox to her daughter um, and says the code word Black Widow. And basically, 
the opening, what the opening of the film shows is she, as she's getting abused, her daughter goes out and gets a shopkeeper to call the cops mm-hmm. um, because in the lunchbox is a message saying, I'm in danger. My life is in danger. Please call, mm-hmm. please call the authorities. And yeah. so at the beginning of the film, we see that after this abuse has happened, that they are, have been, that they are removed, that they have been separated and this is only shortly thereafter and now they're living in hotels and they're trying to get back on Sandra's trying to get back on her feet she's trying to get yeah. job she she has a job with um with a an older an older uh i believe retired army doctor um who um his name is Peggy and she works as a as a cleaner for her and she's working in a bar and basically the course of the film is she try- is trying to f- get a house get situated and living as well as become and to gain that independence and to gain that fr- freedom from Gary who is still has joint custody at this mm-hmm. point and yeah we might as well just g- get yeah. get into it well um, and what, and i just want to say sort of like the sort of crux of the film sort of like where sort of like what it the plot revolves around is basically um sandra gets an idea to literally like diy her own house um for it's like thirty five thousand euros or something is like what it what it Mm -hmm. costs according to this like online architect and um then dr o'toole peggy who is played by um i believe her name is harriet walker who has been in sense and sensibility uh the emma thompson version and not to keep bringing it back, but is in Killing Eve season three. She plays. Um, okay. So for for my Killing Eve heads out there, she plays. Um, I'm forgetting what her name is, but she plays basically like Villanelle's um, Jodie Comer's uh, sort of mentor, like assassin mentor. Um, and she's awesome in that, and she's great in this. So uh, I I was like I recognize her, and then I looked it up, and I was like that's what I recognize her from. But and then basically Doctor O'Toole like gives her the land, and then. So it's kind of backyard. Yeah. And basically like show like that's sort of where the real kind of like, um, I guess like conflict, quote unquote, like the sort of primary conflict of the story sort of like arises from. Um, Yeah. Is is the process of building a house, mm -hmm. um, what that means for her her financial system, like her subsidies or from the government, what Mm -hmm. that means um, for her relationship with Gary, et cetera, et cetera. Mm Um, what, just, just what, how how did this, how did this film find you? Um, did you, did you enjoy this film? Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, I think, you know, we kind of talked about it earlier, but I think it is ultimately a feel good film. I think it's ultimately a film about like hope. And I think that, yeah, I mean, it also, I think, so I think that's sort of like the ultimate message. I think the sort of secondary equally important message, but one that's a little bit, um, less obvious the one that's more in the undertones and not at the surface is sort of like i think a narrative about how the system is stacked against sandra as a mother as a victim of domestic abuse as um you know uh as a you know working class person seeking um uh, a shelter mm-hmm. or uh, a stable housing yeah and um yeah and so i think that it's like you know, you really back her because she's a like the sort of in the first 15 minutes, it, is, it establishes that she is a really good mom. Like she um, does everything 
excuse me, she has everything she can to shield her kids from the abuse that she has dealt with, which it is later revealed that, you know, due to things out of her control, uh, one of her kids saw it and, you know, is now scared of their father. But, um, she does everything she can to make sure that they are separate, separate from the abuse and she wants them to, like, have a father. Like, she doesn't want it to, like, you know, it's, it's like you can, she's trying really hard to protect them and to provide for them and she's working her ass off to do it. So yeah, I thought, I thought it was really, I thought it was hopeful. I thought it was like ultimately kind of empowering to like watch this, um, you know, this, this survivor really of domestic abuse sort of like keep going and like, uh, and you know, you you felt how much she loved her kids and you know and it was also like throughout the movie you see like how many how much good there is and the people that that were that were surrounding her in terms of like Peggy Dr. O'Toole and um you know her co-worker that helps her build the house and the builder who you know kind of takes it on pro bono and like all this stuff so yeah I really enjoyed it I thought I mean like it really I, I I wrote this on my letterboxed plug, <laughs> but it uh, it's sort of like it was feel good without being like saccharine, sickly sweet, and it was um, a really good depiction of trauma without being gratuitous or exploitative. And I thought um, that Phila Deloy did a really excellent job of sort of balancing those two moods, and I think it's really hard to do that. And it, it she balanced the moods really well without feeling like there were like really abrupt tonal shifts necessarily or if they were like abrupt then they weren't um it, it didn't feel out of place like it felt natural in the diegesis you know what i mean yeah there's there's one moment towards the end where there isn't a very abrupt shift in tone mm-hmm. and that's that's the point is that even when you think you're safe that abuse can still find its way into into your situation and that's the scene where she after they've built the house they've completed building the house and claire is singing or sandra is singing a song and then we hear um and it's this when it happened my heart just dropped because um uh i i can't remember i think it's emma the older older no it was molly it was the younger kid okay and she just says black widow and (laughs) <laughs> I'm just got chills right now and just like oh no what has just happened you see that Gary burnt the house down and this is a very interesting film I think to pair with Promising Young Woman because both um where as Promising Young Woman is about isn't about the victim um sp- the specific victim it's about someone dealing with survivor's remorse um both films are about how you react and try to move on from from a from a abuse in the past mm-hmm. in this case it's more i mean really more really like past. really like trauma in general and yes. sort of like yeah. how how you deal with that that specifically grief, trauma that at anger. the hands of the patriarch yeah 100 percent, and and at the hands of the system um and and i think that it's it's interesting because these the or that it's that it's a it's a good com- juxtaposition to make because both of them have very different um conclusions where and I said in I said when I'm talking about promising young woman that I called it the ideal that this film was the ideal reality and what I really meant to say was it was the ideal fantasy 
um, in that everything is very, very heightened in that film. Um, it's a very slick production and, and, um, and the conclusion it comes to make is that even in this, in this heightened fantasy where everything seemingly goes right, you still can't have the happy ending. Yeah. You're either going, you're either going to, either justice is going to be served or you're going to be able to move on with your life that you can't have both. And this film has a very different conclusion where this film is specifically about how, despite the system being stacked against you, um, that human kindness will prevail and that, and that ultimately, I mean, in the, in the final scene of the film, it's um, revealed that um, Gary has been arrested um, the the Gary's mother is the one that relays this to to Sandra to Claire um, that he's been arrested. You're free, and she goes out and literally and just and just starts digging up the ashes of her home so that she can build again. And I it's I think it's important to have both of those perspectives to 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 a, to have a film that emphasizes um, the just the the horrible crushing system that. Um, that will take away everything, and then a film that emphasizes that human kindness is can overpower that in in the um, and that's because uh, at the beginning of the film I was I was I was a little worried because this Peggy character is this clearly this more rich um, wealthier woman who is um, bestows upon Sandra this chance to build in her backyard. And there's a scene with um, Peggy's daughter early in the film, which is like, I mean, do you really know this woman? I mean, I know that her mother was your cleaner and that you were friends, but like, come on, let's, are you really going to take this chance? And I was worried that the entire film was going to become about um, this battle between the classes and that it was going to kind of, and that ultimately the message would be that the rich people are nice and really what I found this film was actually about is this, that peop, that all people, um, that there is, that, that everyone has room for, for kindness and that everyone can, will come together. And I, that, that unabashedly positive message kind of, I think, transcended the, the, the class issues that were in this film is that ultimately that what this re- film is really saying is that, is that people are good and that people will help help you out and that some people who are they're just they're too far gone and but that most people will come together Mm -hmm. and and i found like yeah this this movie made me ball Mm -hmm. (laughs) at several points Mm -hmm. it's just it was um well and i think yeah and, and i think um i think you make a great point about the sort of juxtaposition between this and promising young woman but i i i think at a more I think the the word I keep coming back to in terms of both of those films is selflessness. And I think it show I think Promising Young Woman shows how self-destructive selflessness can be and sort of mm-hmm. losing yourself in someone else's cause and how that is destructive. And this is and herself is more about how selflessness can be constructive if you Yeah, will. yeah, be be yeah, <laughs> constructing I mean, a house. Literally constructive. Um <laughs> Yeah, and how and how selflessness can sort of better your life if you as well sort as of, lives of others. Yeah, and so um so yeah, and I think um so yeah, I think I kept sort of like going back to 
promising young woman when I was watching this and sort of like thinking on that because um yeah I mean it is about sort of two women who get really screwed by the patriarchy and are dealing with trauma and grief and but deal with it in different ways and and neither way is necessarily correct or incorrect or anything like that but it's just sort of like ways to deal and um and I mean, and I think a huge reason that Sandra sort of makes the decision she do, she does is for her children. Like, and I think that is sort of the, you know, that's like the kids are kind of the crux of this, really. Um, yeah. And, and they're it, both. I want to shout out the actors because yes. um, Molly McCann plays Molly and mm-hmm. Ruby Rose O'Hara plays Emma. And they're both astounding they're really actors. good. I thought Emma was hilarious. I thought she was really yes. clever. I thought she was witty. I thought that she had. I thought um, Ruby, the act, the actor, had like really amazing like line delivery, like facial expressions. Like I think she nailed it. And I think Molly, Molly just broke my heart. Like that was she was so sweet and so she, she has a she has maybe the most difficult role to pull off in mm-hmm. the entire film as a kid as a as a little kid who's going through trauma mm-hmm. and 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 yeah no I, I i there was not a second that i didn't buy her mm-hmm. um as, as in 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 that role and yeah no just mad props to them yeah a hundred percent so yeah i agree i thought i thought all the actors in this film did a really good job i even I, and I do, I'm not sure uh, who the actor who played Gary is. Do you know what his name was? Um, yes, Ian Lloyd Anderson played Gary. I thought he um, did an excellent job of, like, making an abuser sympathetic. You know what I mean? Which is like, because um, I guess, obviously... I don't have sympathy for abusers, but I think that the tricky part of his role was that he had to be, like, warm enough to elicit, like, sympathy from Sandra. And he was to, like, believable. And yeah. to be, and to be, like, a believably good father, like, who loves his children, while still being, like, while still being, like, a monster. Like, I think he played a very realistic, um abuser so i think and i think i'm sure he's a lovely guy in real life um but uh but yeah i mean i think he did a really good job like i think he really nailed it and and you know like you can you know there's one line uh that sandra says towards the end of the film where she's like i miss him like i miss who gary used to be like i'm i miss who he was when (laughs) we first met (laughs) where's the tissues yeah um and i and and you know it through um Ian Lloyd Anderson's performance like you can see like glimpses of that person like you can see why she thinks there might be hope like you can see why she you know is working towards her independence but still has these moments of like doubt and like you know like real like loneliness for him um like you know what i mean like i think you i think he totally sold it for me yeah no there's there's the his 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 role and his performance is, is both um, critical to the success of the film, and I think that 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 he pulls it off, um, uh, uh, showing how how it 
how believable it is that people could be maybe on his side. Um, not only his parents, but also um, we see the the judge. And um, just going back to Promising Young Woman, something that both of these film, both Promising Young Woman and herself, do is that they show that um, that the system is not just men; that it is also women. I mean, not only is uh, uh, Sandra's uh, the person that she goes to about housing stuff is um, a woman, um, and she is rooting for Sandra's throughout the film, but also the judge is is a woman and. And it's showing that the patriarchy is not just men. It is it is the system set up by men um, that supports them. And um, yeah, uh, just I just um, on a shifting gears slightly, I think that uh, that the filmmaking um, displayed in herself, um, it's not. I wouldn't call it particularly um, um, ex- exceptional. It's a very efficient storytelling. Um, I enjoyed, I enjoyed the song choices. This film very clearly takes place in uh, 2014. Yeah. Because um, because Titanium of the song. Titanium by the, Sia. Yeah, <laughs> that there was a montage that I was like, I remember listening to the Piano Guys cover of that over and I over remember, and over I remember again. watching Anna Kendrick and Britney Snow sing that naked in a shower together in Pitch Perfect 2012. <laughs> I'm now have to see that movie. Uh. Oh, it's it's a great it's another it's another movie similar to Mamma Mia, um where I you remember can, the cup song mm, from, but from you Pitch can, Perfect. That was a huge craze. You can just tell that like they had so much fun filming Pitch Perfect and they like are all buddies and like they have stayed good friends and like you can tell like it just it radiates joy. So and I'm Anna also Anna Kendrick is Anna Kendrick is one of the most game actors out there. Um, she is incredible. I, mm-hmm. um, I, I just like to mention. I'm gonna go go to complete left turn here, and I just want to say that hey, that uh, Quibi is is going to be resurrected because the Roku channel is in talks to buying all of their films, and you really? can then, yeah. And so if that if that works out. Please go watch um, Anna Kendrick and uh, Cody Heller's uh, series Dummy, which is oh, about yeah. a a writer um, who her 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 boyfriend who is Dan Harmon, creator of Rick and Morty, who I had never heard of before the series, um, is uh, uh, she her she becomes writing partners with Dan Harmon's sex doll, and it's so strange and so bizarre, and it's lovely, and Anna Kendrick is the only person who could have sold that. But uh, getting back to just the time setting is that, yeah, that the, the song choices throughout the film and the the pervasiveness of Frozen is all over this movie. And I thought that that was it. This film very much took me back to where I was to that age and to when all of those things were popular. I can't remember the song that opens the movie when Sandra's playing with her kids, but that was a song. Oh, that was it's on um, oh, it's Chandelier by Sia. That's right. Yeah. And uh, um, anyway, it just there's there's lots of that. Um, there was there was I I appreciated the 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 how grounded the filmmaking was. I felt mm-hmm. that it there was there was never any moments that wowed me in terms of filmmaking. But I was but I was very appreciated how it how it told the story efficiently and and how it it never um, I outside of a few moments that maybe. That the, like the where the score ramped up real loud at like the reveal that mm-hmm. um, Molly had seen the abuse like outside of a few moments that felt maybe a little tad melodramatic that the film was very very good at keeping keeping everything um, at the right in the right tone at the right level and so 
that's well yeah. i also i agree um for the most part i do think though that in those moments where you know you you call it sort of like melodramatic i do think that like um it is it is that intense for the characters you know yeah, like it I guess, is i guess it felt like that it was that that Philida was trying to sell it a bit too hard for me because like I understood that and if like if the moments if those moments had been had been under if it was if those moments were silence then I feel like it might have hit me harder than the score blaring because the, yeah I don't know I, yeah that's, I mean that's it's a certainly thing. yeah it's certainly a choice um that she made but I think that ultimately like I think the choice was meant to reflect the why like it, I think it you know, I think it just, yeah, I mean, it could have been silent, and I think maybe it would have been more impactful, maybe it wouldn't have, but I think ultimately, like, the, what those sort of, like, melodramatic scenes are meant to convey is, like, just how, like, how crushing it was to Sandra, you know? Sure, um, for sure, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, there is a time and a place for, like, um, I feel like... There are certain stories that are um, enhanced by really, like, interesting or experimental filmmaking. Um, I don't think this would have been one of them. Like, I think no. this... I think that this needed a really... Uh, yeah, like, grounded... Um, this this film, I guess, is is a good way to put it. Would be that this film never um, seeks to subvert your expectations when it comes to the filmmaking style. It's it it presents things as they are, very simply. The montages feel like montages. The scenes play out with beginning, middle, ending. It's just it's it's a very um, I guess you could say conventional, but it's just it's a it's a but without but that's not that's not as a pejorative that's just as a descriptive thing that it's a it's a very straightforward film in a in a in a hollywood if you will way yeah but yeah but like i said i do think that it it does benefit from i, I don't know if it benefits from it but i i certainly don't think it takes away from the story no. um and i'm not sure that the film would have benefited from any sort of subversion or um you know experimentation in filmmaking but um you know that that wasn't the film that got made i really liked the film that got made how you know yes. whatever it was um yeah i thought the soundtrack was cute um i really yeah i i, I was like i know this song i love this song it's really good um so yeah, I I really liked sort of the soundtrack and um everything that was going on with that. Um and what I also I I did really like how um like music is and is really tied to joy. Like in in and the music was really tied to the different sort of emotions. I guess that that Sandra was feeling. You can kind of be like, "Oh yeah, I really like this is a fun song. Like, I have sung it with, you know, uh, my friends or whatever. Like, you can kind of relate to the joy that comes from, like, listening to, you know, those songs with your companions of or whatever. Um, whereas, like, you know, I don't know. I just thought it was a cool choice. I thought it was, I thought it, um, I thought it did a really good job of sort of depicting, you know, moments of triumph versus moments of um, defeat. Of of which sure. there are many of both in this film, <laughs> tragically. Yeah. Um, 
I I just wanted to ask you, Anna, um, mm-hmm. what your if you have any personal experience with like carpentry or like building stuff, if if you've ever done any of that, um, because I have, and I just I have a couple notes on what on what we saw in the film. I took shop in the eighth grade, but it wasn't wood shop. So in seventh grade, you could take wood shop, but in eighth grade, I took more like engineering kind of shop so we built like rockets we we like soldered stuff um so i don't really have a ton of experience with um carpentry or anything like that um yeah beyond just like building stuff from target and ikea and wayfair and stuff like that okay because just because i was watching watching these montages um when i when i as i was watching the film realized that this the the bulk of this movie was going to be about the building of a house um, because um, while my, uh, my dad is a very like a, a Mr. Fix it kind of person. And so over the years, um, like he built the house that we're living in now. Yeah. Um, he designed a Nick Offerman type. Mm, I, I don't know about that. He's, he's a, he's just, a, he, he enjoys, he enjoys projects like doing, building stuff with his hands or fixing stuff like I can't remember the last time that we called someone over to fix something when like something was leaking or the power with the power or whatever, like he just does it all himself. And so over the years, I've kind of begun to accumulate skills and knowledge of like, I know how to sheet rock. I know how to uh, do et cetera, et cetera. And so, was, and then, and then I've also worked um, in theater. I was, I would help out with shop and stuff like that and sets and stuff. And so it was just, it was funny to see um, like when the carpenter character in the movie, like the guy who like knows what he's doing and he cuts a board and he does it wrong. Uh, <laughs> there's a scene where, where they cut the board and they do it in the way, in the way that you always see in the movies where they push through the wood when really, when you have a, when you have a two by four, you just go down because then you don't get all the frayed cutting anyway. Right. And so <laughs> right. I, I just wanted to i just wanted to, to so this to the, the, it... the 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 you wish they had hired like a like a consultant for the construction scenes well, i i'm i'm guessing that there was a consultant on mm-hmm. the on the on the set or whatever i just think that um i i just thought it was funny whenever like in th- in the moments in the film when they were building something i was like mm-hmm. that's not how you do that or um but anyway that's just that's that's my little i wanted to 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 shout out my to to praise myself on knowledge of of carpentry that is that is (laughs) not easy to have knowledge on so i commend you i'll i'll Um, call you if i need a house built so um so anna we've been doing this over on our weekly wiseman um where um harold and i when we get to the the end of a review of the film we have what we call a quantified vibe check which is our way of, of grading the film. And it's something that I did when I was um, writing for Movie Babble and I was right at the end of all of my viewing Varda reviews. I would make up something completely arbitrary because just because I didn't like grading systems like right. numbers or whatever. Or stars or whatever. And yeah, so I would do like for I would do like uh, for La Point Court is like uh, uh, three kittens out of uh, four towels blowing in the wind, mm-hmm. stuff like that. And so, um, if you just if you could give uh, your final thoughts on 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 the film herself, and then give a, a quantified vibe check. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it is ultimately like a really hopeful, empowering, pleasant movie. I think that, um, yeah, I mean, like I said, like I think, um, you know, uh, Claire Dunn does, is an excellent leading lady. Um, she gives me 
big Phoebe Waller bridge vibes in terms of her look, which I love. Um, and yeah, I think this was a really clever story. I think it was, um, a really good way to tell this story. And I think, yeah, like I said, like, it's not, it's not too sweet. It's not too gratuitous. It's just, it, um, there's a really good balance of, you know, the good and the bad in this, which I think is important. Um, so yeah, I would definitely recommend it. I think it's also, it's a clean 90 minutes and you know how I feel about 90 minute films. They're amazing to me the perfect film length for me. Um, and, uh, yeah, I guess I'd probably give it, um, four Rose Lavelles out of five Megan Rapinos. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. That's a, um, that's a United States women's national soccer team deep cut for those who okay. are listening. Okay. I know nothing about sports. <laughs> oh, you'd like you'd like the US women's national team. They're great. Well, I I I was a I was a fan of that one uh the 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 queer soccer player that won the whatchamacallit or whatever and then That's Megan Rapino. Oh, okay. So yeah, so that just shows with you with the purple how hair. I... With the purple hair. Yeah, yeah. You like her. Um she's marrying yes, I... Sue Bird, who's an excellent athlete in her own right. Okay. Um, I'll make anyway, a sports uh, fan of you yet, B. I I doubt it. Um, but anyway, uh, I I found this film to be to be quite enjoyable. Um, it it never uh, knocked my socks off or anything like that. But it was a it was a very very touching story. Um, it's it was a tearjerker story. It was there was definitely moments where I was a little like, oh boy, we're going there kind of thing. But um, but. A, what I really took away from this was, um, was, uh, I, you said her name was Harriet. Harriet Walker. Harriet, Let me double Harriet check Walker. that. Um, or Harriet Walter. Pardon me. Harriet Walter. Yeah, okay. I thought the was, T was a K. My apologies. Yeah. Um, the, the real takeaway for, for me from this film was, uh, Harriet, Harriet Walter and, and Claire Dunn. Um, both give incredible performances here. Claire Dunn in particular. I mean, I don't know how autobiographical this film is. Um, I mean, the stories by her, the screenplays by her, she stars in it. Um, but Claire, Claire Dunn clearly knows how to, how to do, how to play this character. And she's, she's great. And, uh, uh, Phil Lloyd does a great job in telling this story, um, efficiently and and matter of factly and yeah this was a this was a really fun watch i'm gonna give it um uh one titanium out of of four four miscut two by fours nice okay um, so th that's that's my quantified vibe check um nice. why don't we get into our recommendations of the margins anna what do you got sure so i am gonna recommend a movie from 2018 that stars one of my faves atj anya taylor joy and this is thoroughbreds which was directed by cora cory ah. finley great movie um it's anya taylor joy um and so if you liked Queen's Gambit, you should check this out because Anya Taylor-Joy is really good at this. And then this also has Olivia Cooke, who was in um, an episode of Modern Love. I'm forgetting which exact episode it was, but um, it, she played, like, basically a pregnant woman who was going to, um, you know, uh, she was going to give her baby up for adoption to this gay couple. And it's sort of like how, uh, it's, it's about sort of how the three of them like have a dynamic and she's excellent in that. She's excellent in this movie. Um, basically the premise is like, 
Isn't Anton Yelchin also in this? He the is. Anton yes. Anton Yelchin is also in this. The late, great Anton Yelchin. Uh, an, an underappreciated gem in his time. Um, yeah, gone way too soon. Absolutely. He is. He's excellent. Um, but uh, yeah, so basically the idea is that uh, Anya Taylor-Joy plays um, Lily. Olivia Cook plays Amanda. They're two like wealthy Connecticut teenagers. They used to be best friends. They're not anymore because um, Amanda's kind of a sociopath. And basically, they strike up a like a like a scheme to kill Lily's stepfather, and mm. it's all about that. Um, it's really good. Um, if you like Killing Eve, if you like, um, if you liked like uh, kind of like Gossip Girly sort of things, it's kind of like a good mix of that. Um, it's a really gorgeous film, and. Uh, yeah, it's really great. It came out in 2018. Um, it is... So, uh, it, I think it was Anya Taylor-Joy's third um, movie role. Because she okay. she was in The Witch by... Uh, directed by Ari Robert Aster. Eggers. Or Robert Eggers, Robert pardon Eggers. me. Yeah. Um, yeah, they get... Those those two are it's, basically it's interchangeable. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, I get... Um, yeah, I get them confused sometimes. But yeah, and Robert Eggers also directed The Lighthouse. And then uh, she was in Split, and she's incredible in that movie as well. But that's not really... That wasn't really in the margins. Um, so I believe this was her third. I could be totally off with that. But um, it was definitely, I think, her third, like, sort of leading role. Um, and she's amazing. Okay. So definitely check that out. All right. Yeah, no, that's one that I've always had on the back burner of like in the watch list and i just still haven't gotten around to it. i think it's on netflix uh it's on it's on some streaming i'm not exactly sure what it is but if you google it i mean you could worst yeah. case you can rent it on youtube for like three dollars or something like yeah, that. yeah it's so. it's not it's not hard to get a hold of definitely way. not um speaking of netflix uh my the my recommendation for the margins today is um it's it's a film that i when i saw it um really just uh really took hold of me and um and just as it as time goes along it stays in um it stay it's it hasn't left my mind and that's um a film from last year and it is Elliot Page's um documentary There's Something in the Water. It's a it's a very low budget documentary of just Elliot Page um going back to their um home country, home province. I don't it's in Canada, Canada um, of Nova Scotia, Nova Scotia, and going around to various communities around where they came from, and showing the uh, the effects of environmental racism that is that has happened um, uh, to the various uh, Black and Indigenous communities in that area, and it's like I said, it's a very, very, uh, very, very uh, low budget. It's literally just um, Elliot Page and their um, and their cameraman um, and the three people that um, they interview and and there's graphics and stuff and all that. But it's just going around the going around the countryside, seeing what racism and environmental catastrophe hath wrought, and it's. It's very simple, it's very powerful, and you should definitely see it. And I'm just wanting to uh, uh, highlight it because there's been a lot of stuff going around lately about um, dialogue, about the difference between... And it's been going on for, for forever about the, 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 di- the 
dichotomy between um, men's film criticism and women's film criticism. And, um, and for me, it's just, it's kind of, I'm just kind of like, I'm all, I like, I get it. Men are overrepresented, overrepresented and sexist and women are underrepresented, underrepresented and, um, and, feminist and all that and i and i get it and i'm and i'm a little tired of it because i just like there are non-binary people exist also and and yeah like even with stuff like promising young woman which is this very explicitly feminist um feminist film there's there's still and like it has laverne cox and all and and it just it's just there there i everything's the conversation still at large still feels very binary to me yeah and, and very that's... um very focused on the the cis white experience of feminism which is not or, a yeah, universal just, experience of feminism yeah and just the the this yeah it is based in the the cis idea of men versus women and i'm just like i'm tired of that conversation and so i'm just i'm shouting out um a Quite possibly filmmaker. the most famous non-binary person on earth at this point. Are the, do they uh, identify as non-binary or do they? Uh, they yes, trans non-binary, uh, trans masculine. Their okay. pronouns are he and they. Okay, cool. And, I yeah, I I wasn't aware. Thank you. Anyway, so yeah, um, but yeah, so that's that's my shout out. Go watch that on Netflix and uh, get yourself educated. Uh, because that's great. Um, so regarding, uh, next week, um, so, uh, the poll was ran, uh, your choices were, um, hunted from the co-directed, of co-director of Persepolis, One Night in Miami, um, from Regina King and MLK FBI, the documentary from Sam Pollard. Um, there was another tie, another coin was flipped and, um, is the, the, res- and the film we're going to be reviewing next week is One Night in Miami. Oh, thank God. Um, I watched Hunted for Movie Babble. Oh, okay. <laughs> I I'll... thought it might be an interesting choice because because he is the co-director of Persepolis, which is a film that I, I know. loved. I was expecting better. And anyway. Uh, but I'll, and... I'm going to write a review on it and I will, okay. uh, I'll plug that, but it'll be on Movie Babble at some point this week. Okay. So anyway, so the film we're going to be reviewing is One Night in Miami from Regina King, which is the uh, fictional um, story of the night where Cassius Clay, who was then uh, later renamed himself Muhammad, Muhammad Ali. Um, you might've heard of him. Um, and it's he's, a night where he's a little known boxer, yeah, little, little anyway, known, and... little known athlete. <laughs> And so it's a night where he, um, Malcolm X, um, singer uh, Sam Cooke, and fo- NFL star Jim Brown all meet and discuss. Um, and that's the movie. It's adapted from a play from Kemp Powers, um, who co-wrote and co-directed Soul. And um, yeah, it so looks we'll great. I'm excited to watch it. And um, on the day this goes up, which should be Tuesday, um, the 19th. Um, there will also be a poll um, for what films. I'm not sure what is going to be on there yet, um, but there will be a poll for what film we'd review next time. And, and this so, is all on the Patreon, right? Yes. Um, the This is a free podcast. The poll is for patrons. And doesn't matter what level of patron you are, you do get access to those, you, and you can vote in those polls to decide on what we review here. Um, Anna, why don't you plug yourself? Well, as always, uh, you can find me on Movie Babble, Anna Campion. Um, I review there. 
Um, I have my own podcast called Oh No with Anna Campion, where we talk all about embarrassing and absurd stories. I do talk about, um, I actually had my buddy Arjun on a couple months ago and I released that episode. B, I don't know if you listen, but we spent a majority of the time talking about the devil all the time. Um, so I released that episode a couple weeks ago. So if you like movies, definitely, uh, check that one out because that's kind of a funny one. Um, and then, uh, but yeah, so that is on all streaming platforms. We also have a Patreon for that. Um, if you go, if you look up, um, Oh No with Anna Campion on iTunes, Spotify, uh, you know, Twitter, Instagram, you'll find all the links there. Um, and then follow me on Twitter at I am the Campion. Um, and I think that I tweet good. Okay. Mm -hmm. I can, I can confirm this, that you do tweet tweet good you tweet um, good too. lots lots of anya t- it's mostly anya taylor joy stuff um to yeah be you know um <laughs> yes because i i well you i don't know if you followed me in my florence Pugh phase um but i'm in my anya taylor joy phase <laughs> i might have caught you on the tail end of that mm-hmm. but yeah mm-hmm. but mostly it's been anya taylor joy stuff mm-hmm. uh, well she's everywhere she's popping off i love it yep she it, la- 2020 was definitely between emma the and year the of Gambit. atj yeah um, all right. You can find uh, me uh, on Twitter and on Letterboxd at Blue Gray Closet. You can find uh, we're based on Anchor, but this podcast is available pretty much everywhere. Um, uh, so anchor.fm slash screens margins. We do have a Patreon, as previously mentioned, where not only you can get access to polls, but you also get access to whole bonus podcasts um, where I'm doing series on with various co-hosts on uh, Lucrecia Martel, uh, Rainer Werner Fassbinder, um, and uh dorothy arsner and so you if you go over there patreon.com slash screens margins you can figure out which tier you would like to sign up for um you if you if it would be very nice if you did support us um it would we, we yes it would be nice um and because we put a lot of uh flipping effort that? into this we put a lot of I effort mean, into this <laughs> and honestly yeah, you guys no. should appreciate us more <laughs> okay Anna, uh, turn it down a little. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right. Um, yeah. Um, if you if um, you're using Apple Podcasts, if you could give us a five star review or subscribe, share, we would. With this is we realize I'm I'm aware that this podcast is spe- that this podcast network is specifically about niche stuff, but I like. But the goal is that that this stuff doesn't have to be niche, and that this stuff could actually be mainstream and that everyone can appreciate the films of these people that you've never heard of or so, even um, even still that people who are into this niche content can find it easier and have a yes. resource yeah so um so yes yeah, so that's that's this today's episode of fresh from the margins uh thank you very much uh for listening uh we know that there's a poll these days when it comes to films to focus only on the big and mainstream stuff so thank you for spending a little time with us today here on the margins good night uh, Oh